We are three weeks into our uh, Meeting Jesus series where we're looking at encounters that people have with Jesus through the Gospels. The whole idea being to try and work out um, what Jesus is really like. There's so much talk about Jesus around. The only way you know what Jesus is like is through the Bible because that's the historical account of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, in the same way that any other historical account of any other historical figure, you go to the most, most ancient and consistent writings. That's how you know about Julius Caesar and all the others. Um, and so the way you know about Jesus is reading the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And um, we're looking at people that met with him, the dynamics, the things that went on there, and drawing out, to draw out lessons, because I think as well, another thing we do with Jesus is sometimes we caricature, caricature him. So we read one instance where he responded in a certain way, and then we say things like, well, Jesus is like that. Well, Jesus was like that then, with that person. And although his character is unchanging, he, was, he relates and responds to different people in different ways, because he knows the heart, he knows what people need to hear, and when. Etc. Etc. So that's why we're doing this series. And um, uh, to today's story, today's encounter, you can find it either in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, or Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Now, what I've done with the scripture we're going to show in a moment is I've, I've amalgamated the two. Because within the two accounts, there are various different details that the different writers have included. So I thought, well, I'm going to put them together so that you get the whole story. It's definitely referring to the same encounter, but like any eyewitness account of situations, people include various things that they observed at the time. So let's, you can follow it in Matthew 15 and it'll be a bit different, or Mark 7 it'll be a bit different because what's coming up is an amalgamation of the two. Uh, and from there, he, that's Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he couldn't be hidden. But immediately a Canaanite woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. He answered, But I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Phoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the children's crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. For this statement, you may go your way. Be it done for you as you desire. The demon has left your daughter. And her daughter was healed instantly. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would bring this thing to life in our hearts now by the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to pull out a few things from this incredible encounter. I mean, there aren't many uh, encounters as shocking uh, and as unsettling as this one in in the Bible uh, in many ways. The first thing I want to pull out is about Jesus, that he was tired. It doesn't say explicitly in the story, but it's, it's strongly inferred. Um, that Jesus was tired at this point. Either side of the story, there are multitudes of people gathering to him for healing and for teaching. Um, Tyre and Sidon, which is where this happened, was outside of the region of Galilee and Israel. Very unusual for Jesus to be outside of that area. And yet he went outside of that area, but said, actually, the reason I'm here is for Israel. So the reason he didn't go out was so that actually he could just get some time out. Went into a house with a desire to be hidden, but people even out there recognised him and the crowds began to gather. 
So Jesus here is tired, it seems, and he's looking for some kind of a retreat or break. And I wanted to bring this out because I want you to understand the humanity of Jesus. He's fully human. The Bible presents Jesus as fully God, but fully human. And you've got to get it if you're going to be a Christian that Jesus is fully human. Because if you don't get it, then you'll become one of those weird Christians that's really not that comfortable with their humanity. They're all spiritual. It's all spiritual stuff all the time. But anything just normal, they get all somehow funny about and feel like it's not, it's not Jesus-like. Jesus was fully human. Jesus grew hungry. Jesus grew tired. Jesus would have relieved himself. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And so we need to understand that as people, our physicality is okay. Okay, So it's not spiritual to neglect your physical, your physical hygiene, to neglect your physical appearance. Even Jesus, when talking about fasting and praying, he said, when you fast and pray, uh, wash your face and anoint your head with oil so that people don't know you're fasting. There's an assumption on Jesus' part that he's saying, that's normal. Normal thing to do is to wash your face and, and, and anoint your head with oil. That's, that's, look after yourself physically. That's, that's a good, godly thing. That's not unspiritual in any way. Um, the physical do- desires and needs that we have are good things. It's only when they, when, when they begin, begin to master us and we become slaves to them that it becomes a problem. But uh, sex drive is a good thing. Uh, appetite is a good thing. The need for sleep is a good thing. But we just are not to be mastered by those things. I want you guys to really understand that. Um, there are limits because we are physical. There's things we can't do. We get too tired. We get worn out. We no longer have the capacity. It's okay to be alert to that. It's okay to say to someone, I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm at, I'm at the end. I, just, I, need, I need some time to rest, to sleep. I need to step back. That's okay. That's not ungodly. That's not wrong. That's not unspiritual. There's limits that we all have as people. Different kinds of capacity. There's personality. It's okay that you've got a personality. It's all right. And it's okay that it's not the same as that person's or that person's. It's okay. It's fine. God made you with it. It's cool. You can still be Christ-like and keep hold of your personality. Okay? It's God-given. Your temperament, your particular taste is so funny. Even with our children, the various, even their approach to food is so different. One of us is so adventurous. The other one decides by the appearance. No, I don't like it. So you haven't tried it? No, I don't like it. What? The colour, the shape. I don't like it. It's, the other one, try everything. And the third one, who knows? But um, <laughs> you, you have this thing, and it's, what is that? What makes that? It makes, them who, it makes us who we are. It's fine. It's good. Jesus would have preferred certain kinds of food to others and that kind of thing. Friends. Jesus had uh, 12 disciples and he had an inner circle of Peter, James and John but we know there was a particular friendship with John. There was a chemistry. They just enjoyed you know, John is happy to refer to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. It's like, well, didn't he love the others? Yes. But there was a particular connection and there was a friendship there. This is is fine, this kind of thing. In life, likes, dislikes, needs. Jesus is human. He's made us human. We We can be full-on followers of Jesus, and yet not become strangely non-human. All right? I thought you'd be excited about that. Okay, well, I am. Okay, fine. So that's that. That's Jesus. Tired. The woman, desperate. We have a desperate woman in this story. It was not easy for her to get an audience with Jesus. Her daughter is in torment. We don't, there's no details, we don't know what it looked like for a daughter to be in this condition, but she's clearly in torment, afflicted. And, and, and the woman knows Jesus can sort this out, but it's really not easy for her to get an audience with Jesus. And I want to just say, beware this, Jesus will make everything easy for you, message. Beware that. 
You may have heard it. Someone may have said, come to Jesus, he'll make everything easy for you. No, he won't. He won't. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's about something much deeper than that. It's not that he's unkind, filled with compassion. So why, why is it that Jesus won't make everything easy for you? Well, the reason is, is that he actually wants to rescue us from the superficiality we so quickly fall into. And I don't know about you, but when life is easy for me, I, I quite quickly become more superficial than I was. And I'm not, I'm not the guy who's asking for hardship, don't get me wrong, but I can look back at my life and recognise that God has let hardship come my way and has used it for his glory and my good. I can see it. I can see it. And so Jesus isn't about making things easy for you, but he's about a great work in terms of transforming your character from the inside out. It's really what he's after. It's not just about making you behave well, not do bad things. It's about transforming you from the inside out. That's the Jesus of the Bible. So we've got Jesus who's tired and a woman who is desperate. And frankly, third point, it's not looking good. It isn't looking, there's nothing looking good about it. She, she goes to Jesus who ignores her. She then clearly, blatantly goes to his disciples and they think after all, who's going to shut this woman up? She won't stop. So then they go to Jesus and say, you've got to do something about this woman. And then he answers, well, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel. And you go on, this is a theological point here. Jesus in his ministry before the cross focused primarily on the Jews. You see, because as well as being the saviour of the world, he's the Jewish Messiah. And so he came, he came to really fulfil all the messianic prophecies and do all of that stuff and look to call back the people of Israel. And then through his, through his death on the cross, the Bible says that in his body, he unites the Jew and the Gentile. He brings together all of humanity under one head himself. You see, but before the cross, really his focus is on the Jews there. And this woman, she's not a Jew, she's a Gentile. She's, we're not in the, the, the land of Israel. We're in a different place, a different region. And so it's really not looking good for this woman. And then he makes this comment and you just want to, you, you just think, oh mate, did he just say that? What is, I mean, it's shocking. Did he really say that? Uh, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't very PC. And Jesus takes up the same phrase. <laughs> what do we do with this? Now, one commentator said it's a different word from the wild dog term that the Israelites used for the Gentiles. It's more like a pet dog. I don't know if that makes it any better or not. I mean, I don't, oh, it's a pet dog. Oh, that's fine. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm sure it's better than a wild dog. But do you want to be called like a pet dog? You know, it's still, either way, she understood. She understood if she was going to get anything, it was going to be the scraps. She, she gets, she understood. Whether or not it's, Jesus is calling her like snowy, you know, Tintin snowy or like, you know, wild, crazy dog. She understands the picture. She gets it. Even the dogs eat the children's crumbs that fall from their master's table. I mean, this is an incredible conversation. I want to ask you, how would you have responded? You've gone to this Jesus, he's renowned as a compassionate healer. And you go to him, and your daughter's, your daughter's you know, in torment and afflicted. Oh, here he is, the king of compassion, the king of love. And he calls you a dog. I want to ask, what, what would you do? Just, just stop for a minute. What would you do? Just think about it. Imagine yourself there. 
How many of you would go, blow me? I thought you were supposed to be... Or, what did you call me? <laughs> you guys, what did you call me? See, so it's, this is tense. This is very, very tense. And yet, she prevails. She prevails. Her faith prevails. And the reason why her faith prevails is because she's not proud. And I, I, want, I want us to dig in. I'm going to be controversial today. We'll do some Q&A afterwards because I'm going to hit some stuff that may, some of you might find quite shocking. So, but we're going to look at this whole thing of pride. We need to look at this, you see, because what, Jesus says these words because his aim is to search out her heart. Because Jesus' words search out our hearts. Jesus says things and it makes you see, oh, what, what's in you? We see, listen, look at what is in this woman. The incredible humility. Incredible. We're going to look at that. But I want us to, we've got to dig around in this area of pride because, you see, pride can make you stumble. Pride is one of those things where you, God didn't do it your way. Or God didn't come through and you're offended in some way. Or, you know, God, do you know how much I prayed about this? And, you did, and, and what it is, and, and at, the, at the, its root, there's this kind of pride. And, and because God didn't meet the thing the way you thought he would, there can be, you can stumble. You, that, you can you trip over. And the race you were running, you go flat on your face. And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't stumble over me. Actually, there's quite a lot of potential stumbling blocks around Jesus. There really is. And it's, a, it's an issue for us because our culture celebrates pride. We've got gay pride. That is a way, as a phrase that kind of celebrates being gay. We call it gay pride. We've got uh, the black community have a magazine called Pride. There's, uh, pride is used in a very, very positive way in our culture, and yet historically it's one of the seven deadly sins. What do we do with this? We've got to grapple with this and work out what we really think. Um, we've got self-esteem, haven't we? The catch-all, cure-all term that's just really a nice way of saying pride. Uh, we're going to pick this up now. And I'm going to be controversial, not for the sake of it, because I, I, want, I think some things need clarifying here. Let's talk about self-esteem for a few minutes. I would describe it as this. The best attempt of a fallen world to fix people. It's a fall, a world that is alienated from God. It's the best attempt, best idea it's got to fix people, but it's like putting a plaster over cancer. Oh, we'll be fine. Because it does not take into account God, Christ, or sin. So none of these things are taken into account, and yet there's a cure. When we can make things better, society better, Education better, schools better, individuals better. We've just got to get their self-esteem up there, have we? My contention is this, as Christians, we ought to operate on a much deeper level. A much, much more profound level than that. When the church gives away her unique message, the gospel, in order to simply be positive, the days are dark. The days are dark. When the church goes quiet on the message... The cure all. Because it's, well, people don't want to hear it. So let's just get into the be positive. The, those days have become very dark. The biggest problem with the self-esteem teaching that is not, is not, is not that we're taught to say I'm okay when we're not, which is a problem. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that it starts and ends with me. That's the biggest problem. It takes this... Alienation. I'm alienated from God and it builds salvation onto it. It's really just another manifestation of independence from God, autonomy. It's like saying, I can do it. I will find uh, wholeness and well-being without any reference to you, God. 
Regardless of the state of my relationship with you, God, and others, I will learn mantras about how okay I am and how I'm to love myself and how all will be well. I will find meaning and wholeness and power within myself. That is not the gospel. That is not the Christian gospel. In fact, it is an antithesis to the Christian gospel. It's another gospel. And Paul says, even if I or another angel from heaven proclaim to you another gospel, let us be eternally condemned. This teaching doesn't allow me to get to God because to come to God I must have empty hands. I must see my need. I must feel that something is wrong. Something that I can't fix. I must come to the end of myself and my resources. That's the heart of it. Otherwise, what is Christian salvation but another form of religious self-help? Well, I'll get Jesus in, but really, I'm, you know, I will survive. You know, that's really what's going on. It's Gloria Gaynor. I mean, that's really it. But we'll bring a bit of Jesus and some verses in. But really, I did it. Those of you that are particularly interested in helping some of the most damaged people in society, you need to listen to this point. You need to reflect seriously on this. We have been conditioned to be fixated with ourselves. And look at where it's getting us. Surely the solution is not more of the same, especially from the church. I found some, listen to some of the words, to some of these songs that our children are being taught today. Just so you understand this is... It's time to celebrate, celebrate, we are great, we are great. It's time to educate, educate, we are great, we are great. Let's all appreciate, appreciate. Uh. I feel the power, I feel the power, I feel the power. I've got to get outside and dance all day, I feel the power, I feel the power, I feel the power. The power's going to chase my blues away, like a mighty tree, I stand tall, through the spring, through the summer, through the winter and fall. Like a rushing river, cutting through the rock, I keep on going, I just don't stop. With an eagle's eye, I can see for miles, from the top of the mountain to the end of the sky, there's a rainbow now inside of me, it's given me a brand new energy. Feel the power, feel, what, what power? See... 30, 40 years ago, it would have, they, children in schools would have been singing about Jesus. It's in very similar terminology. Listen to this one. I'm terrific, I'm terrific, I'm the number one best. I'm terrific, I'm terrific, I'm as good as the rest. But like, you're not. You're blatantly not. You can't be, the be- you can't be better than everyone at everything. You can't. It's impossible. You can't be the best runner and the best at maths. And listen, it's crazy. So when I look into the mirror, what do I see? It's the nicest, sweetest, kindest kid that ever could be. That's just not true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being funny. It's not true. I'm terrific. I'm terrific. I sure like what I see. I'm terrific. I'm terrific. So let's celebrate me. Oh, I can laugh and play. I like the things I think and do and feel and say. And I can be a better person every day. I'm terrific. I'm terrific. There's a lot I can do. So I practice on my talents and I'll grow that way too. So I'll believe in me. There it is. And then you'll see a stronger, braver kind of me. And I can prove that I can do... What's required of me? As Christians, we're supposed to see everything with new eyes. We're supposed to see right through superficial ideologies that are subtly but fundamentally at odds with God's word. We are fools if having claimed to see and understand the gospel in all of its profundity, in all of its depths, that we then embrace shallow and godless ideologies, diagnoses and solutions to problems that we face. The best society can hope for is that I feel good about myself and out of that become a positive influence. 
Now, I guess that's better than a lot of things. It's better than singing about gang rape. It definitely is. It's better than singing about just promiscuity. It's better than singing about how I'm, I'm going to shoot you up. Definitely. Absolutely. And so we tend to say, well, it's better than that, so let's have that. There's something better than that. There's something better than that. Okay? You can't, mustn't throw away your discernment. I say, well, it's better than that. Yeah, it's better than that. But there's something better than that. The gospel. This self-esteem stuff, it just, it bypasses the heart of the matter. It's like when you get these towns and cities and people say, do you know what? We can't get traffic through here. It's, it's hard work. It's too much congestion. We've got to figure out. So we'll build a bypass. We'll build a road around it. We'll get round the thing one way or another. That's what's going on here. We've got this problem. Everyone can see the thing. Flip. What are we like? What are we doing? What, what, what is the problem with us? We, we seem to be getting cleverer. We seem to be figuring out technology. We're, we're improving. We're improving. But we're killing more of each other than we ever have. And it's like, what is this thing? Well, let's get to the heart of the matter. Well, you get to the heart, you're going to hit some stuff, man. You're going, to hit, you're going to hit the contradiction that you are. You're going to hit the confusion that you are, this glory in, that you are, this amazing glory, and yet this corrupted kind of the selfishness, the greed, and you think, what, that's, that, yeah, that's going to hit some congestion there. That's going to be tricky to get through that. Well, let's just bypass it. Let's just do something easier. No, let's get to the heart thing because the gospel cures it. The gospel cures this thing. The gospel, in the, in the gospel, God, God has given his one and only son to become a man just like us and to pay that debt in his body, to take sin, to take on sin in all of its ferocity, to take on sin in all of its darkness, to become sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that there might be this exchange. He's dealt with it. He offers us now, as we come to him, a new heart, the old heart of stone, taken out a new one, put in new life. This, this is it. But it takes repentance. It takes saying, I'm a sinner, I need forgiving. And people don't like doing that stuff. Because you've got to admit, I mean, I'm needy. I, I can't fix myself. You see, pride can initially look okay. I'll tell you why. Because pride can produce self-respect. Pride can produce determination. And then you mix that with a bit of compassion. You get someone proud and they're self-respecting and determined. And then you put some compassion in the mix. And then, and then that person can then help other people become self-respecting and determined individuals. And so actually you think, well, surely, I mean, this isn't bad. This is, looks constructive. And you see so many secular charities doing that. And you think, well, I don't want to knock it. And I understand that. But that isn't this. That is not. That isn't fundamentally what God is about. What we have in this story is supernatural breakthrough. What we have in this story is someone who prevails with God and wins something for her daughter that could not be won by any self-help teaching. That The grip of darkness is broken over someone's life. You see, that, that is faith that does that and faith and pride cannot coexist. Faith grows in the seabed of humility. And that's what we see in this woman's heart. That's what she has, humility. She is not self-important. Have you noticed that about her? There's nothing self-important about her. She didn't rear up. You call me a dog. She didn't rear up. This is not even there. She's not even thinking about that. She's thinking, I've got to get my daughter healed. This is Christian virtue. Christian virtue, the worldly virtue is if I can just love myself enough, then maybe that can kind of help others and kind of love them a bit. 
the gospel says, see God, love God, be, be overwhelmed with the love of God and love God back. And then let God give you his heart of compassion for others. And, and to some degrees, develop self-forgetfulness. That's humility. Self-forgetfulness. When you're not enslaved to look into every mirror or, or window you walk past. When you're not constantly analysing, how did they respond to me? What do they, they think of me? Do these people like me? When you're not enslaved to all of that. You're released from it by the grace of God. Because you realise it's not about me. It's not about me. I've been brought up into something much more beautiful than that. This woman is not self-important. She's not orientated around herself. She's not so fragile. She needs constant propping up by affirmation from others. But Jesus, you called me a dog and crumbled. No, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. It's amazing. We don't even know what she thinks about herself. It's not even in the picture. We know that she believes in Jesus because she calls him Lord and talks about the master's table. She believes in Jesus and she loves her daughter. And as a result, here's the key. She believes in Jesus, loves her daughter, and as a result of these things, Christ esteems her. Christ says, wow, look at your faith. See, there's nothing wrong with being esteemed. We were born, we were born to know something of the praise of God in our own hearts. God's saying, well done, you're mine, I love you. We need that. But when we turn away from him, we try to find that within ourselves and we orientate our lives around ourselves and we we think that's the only way. It's not the only way. That's fallenness. Man, we can be orientated to him and we we can hear his words of life deep in our heart saying, I love you, I am with you. I tell you, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Just sensing the pleasure of God over your life. Just sensing it. Not in a way you've got to make it up. You just... God communicates his pleasure over you, into your heart. Wow. Wow. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Humility is not self-loathing, it's not self-esteem, it's self-forgetfulness. It's when you've been caught up with someone bigger and something bigger. It's a picture of Christian liberation. Faith in Christ, compassion for others, forgetful of self. That's liberation. That's what God wants to do with us. It's cool, isn't it? Maybe not. Okay. I thought it was. I want us as a church to grapple with this. What does it mean to bow the knee? What does it mean to, to, to come to terms with Christ's lordship? Because the solution to our problems is not to exalt ourselves, but to humble ourselves. The promise being at the right time, he will lift us up. See, it's not that, oh, God wants us down in the ash heap. No, he wants to raise us up. But he wants us to trust him so at the right time, he will do it. The Bible says that he has raised us up with Christ. It's God's intention to raise us to glory with Christ. God isn't about, oh, I want to keep you down. No, no, no. He wants to raise you to glory. But in, in the sense whereby, you tr- in, a, in a context where you trust him, will you allow him to do it in the right way at the right time when you are ready for certain things of exposure, profile, honour. You're ready. It's worked into you and it's done in relationship with him. And when it happens, you don't get all big on yourself and start acting like a celebrity. You just know it's all about Jesus and you cast your crown at his feet. And so that's, that's what God is about. That's what he's wanting to do in our lives. And uh, Jesus is the picture of this. We're going to finish just looking at Philippians 2. This is, this is, this is, Jesus is our example in these things. If we 
If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In Christ, this is your inheritance. Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in humble for, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're following Jesus, it will be the same pattern. You say, I'm following you. Jesus says, okay, come, I'm going as low. I'm going as low as you could ever possibly imagine. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to just follow you. I'm not going to try and big myself up, build this thing around myself defend myself no 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 Jesus I'm just going to follow you throw myself into the soil and allow you at the right time to bring growth and multiplication he will do it he will heal your soul he will renew your mind he will do it and I tell you so often you're pastoring people and your heart is breaking because you just think just trust him please just trust him and people want you to give them more no 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 that's it I can't trust him for you. Trust him. He is faithful. He is so faithful. And, and, and the root is often circuitous. And you think, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. And the surprises. But he, as we heard earlier, is faithful. He will do it. He will glorify you in Christ. <laughs> if you let him. And those of you that are helping others, I want to urge you, do not be moved from Christ. Don't. You've been entrusted with the gospel. Don't fudge it. Don't change it. Don't sideline it. It's the message of life. It's not yours. It's God's gospel entrusted to you to steward well, to pass it on. Pass it on. God-centered message. Not, oh, yeah, come Jesus. He'll do this. He'll, you know, he'll he'll, he'll fulfill all your dreams. He, He probably won't because probably some of them are sinful. So, come on, don't deceive people. He'll show you what dreams are the ones he's put in your heart, the ones that bring life. A man alive, will he fulfill those if you trust him? But the ones that really were birthed either out of pain or out of bitterness or out of a sense of anything that's kind of dark, he'll gently and lovingly help you crucify. Because they're not going to bring any life to you anyway. They'll kill you. He's all about life. But the root is the cross. This woman got it. She got it. She went home. And her daughter was healed. (laughs) And I bet she sat there thinking, that was a crazy thing that happened back there. I don't really, I really wasn't expecting that. And I don't know where I came out with that answer about crumbs. I mean, that was amazing. I don't know how I came up with that. But look, (laughs) you know, look. And uh, I just want to urge us. I want to urge those of you that know Christ, keep trusting him. Robustly trusting him. And those of you that aren't sure if you do yet, or you know you, you don't and you're wanting to get there, I want to tell you and just proclaim, great is his faithfulness. 
He is more awesome than you could begin to imagine. What he, has pro- what he has started, he will complete. What he has promised, he will fulfill. Amen? Amen. Amen.